Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And today, well, we are going to have some fun. Have you ever wondered about intuition and dreams? How about making sense out of karma, death, reincarnation? And maybe the biggest question of all, what is God's will or what is the meaning of life? Our guest today has a unique approach on all of this. He says, quantum physics affects our understanding of everything, including consciousness. And he believes that quantum physics can create a new answer to everything. Let's see what he means. I invite you to take a few deep breaths. Bring your awareness into this moment. Open your mind. Connect with your heart. And settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Dr. Amit Goswami is a theoretical nuclear physicist. He received his PhD in physics from Calcutta University and is a former member of the University of Oregon's Institute of Theoretical Science. He is best known for his appearance as one of the interviewed scientists featured in the film, What the Bleep Do We Know? He's a prolific author, and his latest book is The Everything Answer Book, and I'm so happy to have him back on our show. Welcome, Amit. Hi, Julie. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I always appreciate... Um, listening to you, reading your words, and just, again, the reminder of this latest book on it just brings me into this calm place of knowing, and I just want to say yes, yes, yes. So with that, I get a start because we have the tradition on the show, and I know you've answered it before, but I know with our conversation today and, and just being who we are in this in this moment, um, something new might pop in your response. So I'm going to ask you, Amit, what does all things connected mean to you? Well, to me, it's, it's very, very simple. All things are connected in potentiality to that oneness that we call consciousness. It is the ground of all being from which everything that we ever do or experience comes. Mm. Thank you. So with that, we need to jump right in and define consciousness. Everything is made of consciousness. It's that field where we all come. So from your perspective, how do you define consciousness? Well, actually, you know, it has to be defined in several parts to make complete sense. The first thing is to realize it is the ground of being. So it has all potentialities, as you were saying in the intro, infinite potentiality. And then uh, you have to um, introduce a little bit more. Um, We have two domains of reality. One is this unity which expresses that potentiality, and the other one is when the potentiality becomes actualized. This actualization produces the material world. And then you have to uh, sort of spell out um, uh, how that happens. 
So the third step is to recognize that in the process of actualization, consciousness identifies with what we call our brain, and in the process sees itself a subject separate from the rest of the world of experience, which then reveals as objects. And then the fourth one um, makes it complete, which is that, yes, there is a little bit of cognitive dissonance here because quantum self retains the unity. Unfortunately, we have memories. Memories produce conditioning, and uh, conditioning brings separateness. This separateness is what we call ego, and some of that unity consciousness is lost. And if you want mm. a fifth one, which is that consciousness um, is uh, giving us a purpose, which is to draw towards, back towards this unity. So the purpose of life is to look for meaning. Uh, meaning comes when we start recognizing that the purpose of life is to go towards unity. And how do we do that? We do that through various um, recognitions that we pursue meaning, we pursue um, the great archetypes, love, beauty, justice, truth, etc. We pursue our feelings uh, and positive emotions, and that's how I do it. How I do it. So that completes the, you know, East Indians are, do, are doing better. I mean, they don't give all the details. They just say existence, awareness, bliss, happiness. Mm. Existence is the ground of being. Awareness is ground of being, becomes separate, uh, unity and separateness. And then the purpose of life is to seek happiness, which is to take you back to the, to the unity. It's all very simple. You make it simple, Helmut. You make it simple because it's not that simple for people to grasp. But I really appreciate how you can bring that into this distilled, um, simple format for us to really take that in. So... Before we do, I think one of the other things that's really helpful in your work is literally looking at these as the worldviews, because I think we're, we're going to have you, I'm going to ask you all those questions from the beginning. I mean, who doesn't want to know what the meaning and purpose of life is, right? But let's let's start with how you make it simple for us, because when you talk about worldview, I think that's really an another way to help our minds understand what we've done in Newtonian physics and in creating that separation of believing that all that is is this material world and we really don't understand that other field of consciousness that domain of potentiality potentiality we're sitting here in this worldview thinking that what we see as object and subject is it. So can you talk about the clash of these two worldviews? Yes. I mean, it is very unfortunate that we, um, by nature of things, we have to, we had to discover Newtonian physics first. And Newtonian physics is only half of the story. It's the story of how inanimate objects behave. They behave like objects determined. Um, so we become lulled into thinking that that's the end of the uh, worldview. And, but of course, uh, before this worldview came along, which required some sophistication in instrumentation, uh, experimentation, um, we already had a worldview based on people's experience because people um, looked at what they could look at. You know, every age produces their own scientists. Uh, we didn't have any technology. They couldn't do modern science. 
So what they looked at is at their mind. And they found that um, we definitely have a very active mind, but we can penetrate as we go deep. We find that uh, there is experience beyond sensing and thought that, uh, of course, uh, absorbs us a lot. And uh, we easily find uh, three more experiences. One is the experience of feeling. One is a very uh, subtle experience called intuition. We experience stuff like love, beauty, justice, goodness, wholeness. These are things uh, a little bit hard to talk about because uh, the experience is very fleeting. But human beings have done a lot of study through history for 3,000 years, and now, now we know a lot about them. And then uh, finally the experience they have is that, oh, uh, they have a very another fleeting experience of oneness that just gives total happiness. Uh, that is the experience of the self in its true nature. That's what they declare. And in this way, uh, the spiritual traditions, more or less uniformly, all over the world, uh, whether it's Greece or whether it's Middle East or whether it's Japan, China, uh, India, of course, and um, other places too, because we now know about the shamanic traditions in uh, North and South America, which existed long before Europeans came. So um, all these traditions uniformly have discovered that this is the reality. And then, of course, what happens to human beings, we simplify. This is why I'm so careful about not simplifying too much. But they did simplify too much. And it's, this simplification gave us religion, produces role drama in society. Society did not move. And therefore, as a revolt, science came along and reformed everything. So we had Newton, wonderful discoveries, technologies, and now we are here in the 21st century with another worldview, which says matter is everything. So this is the reason for the conflict. Fortunately, the scientific worldview has given us quantum physics. In 1925, it was discovered. And therefore, mm. you know, it is up to us. For 90 years, we have been struggling. And, and for the last uh, 30 years or so, we have no excuse because... You know, we have we have discovered the meaning of quantum physics. This took us a while, from 1925 to 1985, when I discovered the meaning of quantum measurement. It's, it's a long time, agreed, but still, uh, we did it eventually. And now, um, another 30 years have passed. Uh, what is the excuse now? So this is why, you know, I um, propose <laughs> to everybody, I have become an activist, quantum activism, and we've got to bring back quantum physics and this integration where we live the real meaning of life, namely those archetypes, those values, human values that religions prefer to us, and we uh, have to accept them because they are reality. Mm. Well, th thank you. The thing that you that I appreciate about your quantum activism is really helping us understand the potential of really integrating now our science and our spirituality that that that's what quantum physics is 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 bringing to us is this this instantaneous interconnectedness of everything 
and yeah. and here we are. So let's talk about that. Like how how do we bring together and integrate science and spirituality at this time in our culture? Well, um, the first thing, of course, is to change the way we think. We um, can easily start seeing the difficulties of the materialist thinking. Simply examine the fact whether you have free will or not. Okay, it's very simple. What is the proof of free will? Uh, scientists can object to anything, but nobody can object to um, the demonstration of free will because neuroscience proves it, neuroscience has evidence for it, is our free will to say no to conditioning. Yes, we can do it. Even people who are addicted to smoking can get rid of that habit. Even people who are addicted to even more serious stuff a few people, it's more difficult, but a few people do get rid of habits like cocaine habit or heroin habit. It can be done. So what does that prove? That means that we have, that. does that mean if you get rid of a habit? Look, I had habits and I got rid of them. Does that mean that the desire does not come back? It does come back because those molecules that brain produces called dopamine, they are very persuasive molecules, huge we get a huge burst of dopamine in the brain, and you're bound to notice it. We sense the dopamine, you're bound to notice it. And we do notice it. I do notice it. But then you have the ability of saying no. Even such a big rush, you can still say no. No, I won't do it. And you stay in that no for a bit, and the dopamine, dopamine rush passes. That's a simple story of healing yourself from addiction. Not simple, I know. I make it simple because the words make it simple. Of course, doing it is a different, different story because you have withdrawal symptoms and stuff. Hard drug is a very different story. You have to really respect the people who are the caregivers for such things. But anyway, I mean, the point is that everybody has free will and you can prove it. And therefore, yeah. what's the issue? Neuroscience has verified that we have free will. After that, what's the issue? <laughs> and then we've got to have consciousness. If we are deterministic machines, we cannot have free will. And quantum physics says that explicitly we have to have free will because consciousness chooses out of quantum potentiality the actuality that you experience. So both when both theory and your experience and experimental data is saying the same thing, why do you hesitate? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. And so, you know, really looking at how you've explained it as well as um, going into this place of, of spiritual traditions is really teaching us the importance of our wholeness. And we need the scientific materialism. You talk about technology, how it, it helps us to develop technology and, and the importance of our world. But when we blend them, what is our potential as, as humanity here, Amit, as we look at we're on the cusp of this precipice of really integrating that science and spiritual traditions? Yeah, of course, you know, science has, does help us to understand something, which is, which is, you know, I mentioned addiction already. But let's understand the human condition, you know, why, uh, why it is so difficult. It, it is difficult for people. I make it simple, sound simple, but as I said, doing it is another job. Why is it so difficult? 
because of many things that are built into it, some of it is conditioning through the whole um, four billion years of evolution. This conditioning has given us serious, serious instinctual emotions that are very, very persuasive. Um, emotions that get into addictions very easily, um, and uh, they are hardwired into us. So we cannot get rid of them uh, any simple way. People have tried, but it doesn't work uh, because they are hardwired into us. To change the hardware of the body, although we now can think of doing it in many ways, but still it's very, 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 very difficult. Changing software, as you know, you have dealt with computers much easier. Even at the software level, now, the solutions that I suggest in Everything Answer book, uh, more or less uh, all of them are at the software level, except towards the end when I talk about enlightenment. But uh, the software level things anybody can do because we now know the, we now know the uh, physics of it. We know the physics of change. We know the physics of creativity, how to manifest things. We know the science of manifestation. So these are great, great advancements that we have made and people should take advantage of it. This is, the, this is the way to look at The human condition has this negative emotion. The human condition has this tendency of listening to the me, which wants everything um, and asks uh, what is in it for me, that want, 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 desire, desire, desire. Sure, we have that. And uh, we have that uh, tendency that we call inertia. We don't want to make change. I am what I am. But it is also true that living in this way is not stable. You know, we get into addiction, we suppress emotions, that's another way of dealing with emotions. Then what happens? Um, what happens is that you get disease. Uh, suppression is a very serious problem. It produces all those chronic diseases, cancer, heart attack, everything is because of mental stress that we create, emotional stress really, that we create by suppressing emotions. So you suppress, you get stress, you express, you get pleasure addiction. What a guy to do but change, and change is not so hard. <laughs> As I said, changing in the you know easy way, ordinary way, um, is actually pretty easy. How, Ahmed, that's a really good point, and I, I, I'll go back to the disease model, and, and you talk about looking at health and our physiology with quantum physics as well. But um, before we go there, I'd love to have you explain that. But first, um, what about quantum physics and change? How do we change someone's worldview? How do we work with all of what you're saying here is really good. And what do you find that's most helpful to people to go, oh, I get it, and, and switch from that one worldview to the other? It is very, very um, uh, simple, except that you have to have teachers and bring yes. that personal uh, conviction into it. This is why I teach quantum activists who are in the process of changing themselves and changing the world using the quantum principles. These quantum principles produce a little cognitive dissonance because we don't experience them so easily. The three principles, one is called non-locality, 
This one we are mm, fairly familiar with. It is fairly easy to understand. Um, you have to first explain why non-locality comes into the world. That is what basic quantum physics. Quantum physics 101 consists of understanding that non-locality is an experimental part of the world. It's not even debated. Even scientific materialists agree that non-locality exists, except that they don't want to agree with the consequence of it. Mm. What is non-locality? Let's, let's explain why quantum physics has to have it. It's part and parcel of quantum physics. Quantum physics says fundamentally one thing. Objects are not as they seem to be initially. We thought that uh, energy like light is a wave. That's the way they are. And we thought matter, dense matter, or matter in the, in the form of uh, steam, uh, gaseous matter, they're all particle matter, matter made of grains of sand. We call them elementary particles. So matter is particle, energy is wave, that's going on for a while, but then we discovered no energy is also particle, and matter is also wave. Why is this a paradox? Because waves spread out, they are never at the same place for, the, for a long time, just moment you put them, and then immediately just start spreading. So they don't stay particles, this, this um, matter or energy. They, you could localize them as particles, but they won't stay that way. They'll start spreading. And the point is that uh, people, people uh, you cannot uh, imagine that, this, um, that the, at the same space and time, objects can exist in both waves and particles simultaneously. Something, nothing can stay in place and also spread at the same time. That is not possible. So therefore, from the beginning, there has been the hint that we have two domains of reality. One domain of potentiality, these waves are waves of possibility, and uh, how we, you know, when we actualize the possibility by making them into particles through our measurement, we have the domain of actuality, domain of space and time. A big problem was, and this is where all the confusion was, and that took the bulk of that 60-year gap, um, uh, where do the waves of possibility reside? We are postulating a second domain, but what defines it? How is it different from space and time? And then we found the astounding thing. In 1935, we had the theory. The theory said very clearly, quantum physics says that in this other domain, objects communicate instantly without exchanging signals. That's how a communication can be instant. If you exchange signals, signals of a finite speed, and um, that makes always signals taking a little time because they have to go through space. But this uh, uh, domain of potentiality is defined by the fact that no signal is needed for communication. There is no space. There is no time. Everything is instantly interconnected. And that is the oneness that mystics discovered 3,000 years ago. This, once you recognize, is what non-locality is telling us. And then you get the wonderful news that since 1982, non-locality has been demonstrated in laboratory. Now any physics undergraduate with access to a laboratory can verify that, yes, there is non-local communication. Demonstrable, physical, there's no argument about it. 
And then uh, to top it off, in 1994, a friend of mine, Jacobo Greenberg, a neuroscientist in University of Mexico, um, actually I participated in the work theoretically. Um, uh, we wrote a paper uh, where we showed that brains can communicate with non-locality too. Electrical activity in a brain produced through seeing a light flash is transferred into another brain who has not seen the light flash and who cannot be electromagnetically connected with the other by putting them in what is called Faraday cages. But we put electrodes in their scalp and we measure the EEG brain waves and we find that the uh, potential electrical activity that is created in the, in the person who sees the light flashes is uh, communicated to the other brain who don't see any light flash. Anybody who has seen the data of this transfer potential experiment, you know, and this experiment has now been repeated in two dozen different laboratories, so no one can say, well, yeah, it will not be replicated. It has been replicated many times. So anyone, you know, for me, as soon as I explain this quantum wave particle duality, the work that Einstein did to prove that, yes, non-locality is the signature of this domain of potentiality, and yes, this has been experimentally verified, and then I talk about the brain experiment, people are convinced. It, it, it's, not, it's not difficult. Unfortunately, you know, this is why we need, we need activism. People yeah. are so mixed up, even people who are not believers in scientific materialism, because quantum physics is a little bit hard to get. You have to make a little bit exertion. You have to give up some of the prejudices that you have, which you think is the explanation of the oneness. They hold on to their own particular model. And this, yeah. has been, this model has been around, as I said, for 30 years, and even that personal psychologists who really believe that uh, there is consciousness and it is the ground of being, even they refuse to look at quantum physics for their answers. So we have some basic problem with the human condition, as I said. It's deeply, deeply conditioned, and we just don't want to change the ways we think. So we have to be just patient. You know, right now the quantum worldview is getting traction. Lots more people are listening, as you know very well, the word quantum. I mean, your show success shows that, you know, People do get the idea that it is quantum connection that you are talking about. Everything is connected means everything is connected because you are fundamentally quantum. Yes. You know, this is, I want to be a quantum activist. I'm going to check that out. You are already, Julie. I am already. Thank you, Amit. Thank you. Well, you know what? We're going to take a quick break, but I just want to remind the listeners, let's, we're going to talk about what is disease? What is creativity? How about death, reincarnation, racism, healthcare, politics? There's so much more. What is the meaning of life? Stay tuned because we're going to ask Amit those questions. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Meditation Channel. Non-stop meditation music 24 hours a day in the new Empower Radio app. Music to empower your meditation, help you relax, sleep, or provide a calm background while you work. The Empower Meditation Channel is interruption-free. 
Listen now with the Empower Radio app, free in the App Store, or listen online at empower.fm. Soothe your soul, calm your mind. The Empower Meditation Channel. Okay, gang. So, chances are there'll never be an emergency ever, ever again. Mm -hmm. But just in case, let's talk about a plan. Okay. So, who's going to do what? Anyone? Uh... Yeah, okay, perfect. We'll figure it out as we go. So, who is going to grab the go bag? What's a go bag? It is a bag we do not have that is filled with things we really, really need in an emergency. Guess we won't have to worry about it then. Ah, good point. So, uh, we all know who to call if something happens then, right? I'd have to call Jill, Devin, Melissa, Karen, and Bruce. And I will try to call all of you, but Greg doesn't have a cell phone. Dad's phone will have a dead battery. No doubt. And Julie will be on the phone with Jill, Devin, and Melissa, Karen, and Bruce. Well, this is great. <laughs> I am so glad that we don't have a plan. I know. Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov kids for tips and information. A public service announcement brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. As a young teenage boy, I didn't even know what autism was. How do you even spell that? A few years later, I heard that a friend's cousin's son had been diagnosed with autism. I still wasn't sure what that really meant. When I went to college, my roommate's brother had autism. When I moved to the city for work, my best friend called me and told me his son had been diagnosed with autism. We were both in shock. I still remember the day I walked into the house and saw that look on my wife's face. I knew something was wrong. I'll never forget how I felt when she said, our son has autism. Autism is getting closer to home. Today, one in 110 children is diagnosed with autism. That's a 600% increase in the last 20 years. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Think you could easily get to your family if a disaster struck right now? Think you can wing it during an emergency because you're a New Yorker? Most parents don't realize that protecting your family starts long before an actual disaster strikes. It starts today by being prepared and making a plan. To learn how, take our readiness challenge at nyc.gov slash readynewyork or call 311 for information. In this online tool, you'll be faced with real-life challenges, teaching you the importance of being prepared for a disaster. Brought to you by the New York City Office of Emergency Management and the Ad Council. Be the change you want to see in the world. This is Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. And stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie. Also, check out Good of the Whole, goodofthewhole.com, where you can become a global co-creative. Again, that's goodofthewhole.com. I am here with Amit Goswami, and you can find his work and so much goodness, a wealth of information at his website, amitgoswami.org. That's A-M-I-T-G-O-S-W-A-M-I.org. And Amit, in the first half of the show, we talked a lot about just kind of understanding this quantum physics as, as 
a new worldview of really we're we're evolving into this new worldview that include includes both of those th- domains of of space time and then this infinite field of possibility and you had mentioned um, addictions and disease and let's start with the physical body because what what I know to be true is for us to really understand and answer all of these questions that that you have in the book we really need to apply this quantum thinking this quantum reality to to everything to education to healthcare to all of our social structures that we have in the world and that's kind of what's happening is we're watching things break down in all the old structures that were were built on the understanding or the worldview of Newtonian Newtonian physics those are no longer serving us as we become these quantum beings understanding ourselves in this multidimensional way so let's let's talk about the the body the human body and health and and medicine and disease and and how quantum physics can give us a new insight into who we are as human form yes good 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 place to start because you know i mean obviously if you hold on to scientific materialism matter is everything then all you can entertain is the idea of uh, healing when disease hits us, healing um, in uh, three different ways. You know, as they say, you can uh, cut surgery, you can take drugs, or you can burn radiation. That's in the case of only applies to cancer and a few other things. Mm. Too. Um, okay, so um, you can do all those things. But uh, we know drugs have side effects, big problem. Um, Cut only applies to specific cases, and burn, as I said, only few cases. You have the main epidemic of medicine is not to deal with those cases where these three applies uh, very well, straightforward way. That's the old germ theory, and that's still valid. And we can, we fortunately have discovered the way to treat germs. We can kill them. We can inoculate ourselves against them. All kinds of ways we can deal with it. Antibiotics, of course. But the problem is the main epidemic is the epidemic of what we call chronic disease. I was talking about stress before. And we know that stress is the main contributor to chronic disease. And when we... Uh, watch the effect of stress, we find without any doubt that the um, symptoms are there in the physical level, but that's not what is producing it. For example, everybody now agrees that, yes, it's mental stress. Of course, scientific materialists have a huge problem. Their um, theory of the mind is that mind is produced by the brain. But obviously, that theory has problems because you also know that mind can heal. Uh, if mind is um, the producer, produced by the brain, how could it even heal the brain? It's not possible. So in that mm. way, it's very easy to see. Everybody can see that this model is very limited. So what happens in, in, uh, in stress? What is actually taking place? Giving wrong meaning to what happened to me uh, produces negative feelings negative emotions. And on top of it, we have this negative emotion sort of built into us from conditioning, from evolution. The combination is what produces much of our disease. 
where do we heal it? it? We cannot heal it at the physical level. That's just symptoms. We have to heal it at the level of the feeling and at the level of the mind, thinking. Now, thinking we are more familiar with, but feeling is the place where we have to pay particular attention. Fortunately, healing science could not wait for modern medicine. Healing science could not wait for modern science because healing has been needed from the inception of civilization. So how have doctors in the past healed? In fact, the healing uh, systems in all the older cultures, all the older cultures, there's no exception. Every culture has their healing system, which is based on heal the feelings, feeling body. We now call it the vital body. We have to feel, we feel vital energies. But you have to be, have a model for that. And scientists uh, have very successfully objected to old models, but now quantum physics has given us a model of this vital body which cannot be objected to. There is no theoretical objection. So is there proof that, yes, vital medicine, vital body medicine works? Yes, anybody who has gone to an acupuncturist knows that, yes, it works. You put some needles in the arm, and that needle within a uh, half an hour will heal your headache. So this leaves no doubt that um, there are things more than just the physical body which has healing power. And then if you are so fortunate and you have um, good beliefs, then you can even go to people like Reiki healers and they just give you hands off. Um, they just uh, spread their hands. They say it's energized and they just put, without even touching you, they just put their hand, they put their palm, open palm, across your body organs. And after a while, you feel so much better. I have done it. It works. And you can do it and it will work. Of course, the problem is it's temporary. But really, so is the effect of um, medicine. Except for mm. the, as I said, germ theory, those medicine, antibiotics, they really kill off the intruder, and therefore that's real. Other than that, every healing that we can do with uh, allopathic medicine, get rid of the symptoms only temporarily, and then they'll be back again. So the same problem here, but they will heal a little bit more efficiently, it's cheaper, and a little bit more efficiently, efficiently because you can wait longer before you get uh, out of whack, disease again. So uh, this is the new advance of medicine, and um, this is one reason that the quantum worldview is getting traction, because you cannot uh, give a better model than just hardly any other model of how feelings arise in the body. And therefore, this is the big success of the quantum model. I wrote a book called The Quantum Doctor in 2004. Um, it uh, has gotten a lot of attention from medical uh, doctors, and, and they are the leading proponents of the new worldview, quantum worldview. Mm-hmm. I'd love to talk to you about our collective stress, but I don't want to run out of time to ask these other questions. So maybe right. that would be another 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 show for us because there's so much collective stress in our world today. But let's talk about creativity. What is creativity and what does quantum physics have to say about creativity? Quantum physics has a lot to say about creativity. You know, creativity, people try to trivialize it, 
because you can sort of uh, play with the idea that computers can create meaning. But truly, I mean, we all have used computers. Now, what do you do with the computer software? You create a software of your mental meaning, what you want to, the computer to do. And you can rationally extract from the meanings you give the computer other things that the computer can carry out. And then it uh, gives him uh, these symbols back, and the symbols are retranslated into your meaning, so you get the message. But we all know the process, and we never ask, because we are giving the meanings. You forget that. And these clever scientists, um, clever enough to fool you, uh, say that, well, maybe we don't need to give them the meaning. Maybe computers themselves can process it, and they will just use such barbage, such skillful people, really admire them for it, but unfortunately it harms people. They give, give a convincing illusion that as if machines can be intelligent, machines can do it. No, we have to program it. That's how they are fooling you. And nature can program it by the billions of years. That's all absolute hocus-pocus. That is, has no basis for saying that. That's like saying if you put monkey on a typewriter, it will write a Shakespearean sonnet. That old thing, it does not work, cannot work that way. So how does it work? It works through creativity. Um, how does meaning work? Meaning, new meaning, has to be discovered by working with the mind directly. Mind gives us meaning, and mind gives us meaning that we already have uh, computed, made softwares in the brain, and that's what the purpose of growing up basically is, uh, to provide meaning for the world that we experience. And then we become adult, and we have, um, we have a brain that is full of old meanings, and then we get a choice. Our choice is we can stay with the old meanings, but we can also go on learning. And if you choose to go on learning, uh, then that's the creative life. So what is the creative process? We, we find that there is something very radically different that you have to do. Initially, it seems like our life should be do, do, do. We just go on working, and we find working is wonderful because when you work, you don't feel the negative emotions, and brain scientists have verified that. Only when we don't work, we have the problem with negative emotions and this me-centeredness. All those problems disappear when we work. Brain is busy doing uh, other areas. So that's wonderful news, except that, of course, that's not creative. So how do we make room for creativity? We have to face up with the fact that we have to relax. This is the one key that people have to learn. We have to learn to relax, because doing and being is what produces the creative insight, which is a discontinuous transition of thought, and then we manifest. So those are the four stages. Uh, doing, being, relaxing, sudden insight, then manifestation. But that trick is that how to be. This is a tough one, and uh, you know, uh, this is why we write books. In my book on quantum creativity, I have been so uh, specific about what you need to do, how you can meditate to uh, deal with being. But still, of course, you know, uh, when you are trying to relax, all kinds of stuff comes up because the brain is built that way. We get bored and then we want to uh, go back to our me-centeredness and negative emotions like greed. I notice that when I get bored, when I try to relax, invariably, I eat a little more. But, you know, eating peanuts is not so bad. If you still can relax, it's okay. 
um the the problem is to learn to relax in spite of your little bad habits and and then once you learn to do and be that's it that's quantum quantum way of doing things i call it dooby dooby do dooby dooby do is creativity once you start doing that you'll get those insights which will be the answers to the problem you are trying to find answer for mm You know, there's so many exciting new technologies of of people accessing that creative consciousness in a group and, you know, really understanding that. And a a lot of it does is that relaxing into resonance. Mm -hmm. So so that impulse just comes through. So I, I love your explanation of that. You mentioned meaning and life. So let's just jump there next, that big question of what is the meaning of life? Okay, I already hinted on it, but let's elaborate. So I said before that we have this separateness, which we know very well, does not even require any explanation. It happens through conditioning, but it happens in two stages. One is we develop some good habits and bad habits. That's called part of my character. And we also have repertoire as part of it. Um, And then we have one thing that we do, because the brain has a habit, it's an ability, I should say, of conscious of being conscious before. Some people call it self-conscious, fine, but actually it, this consciousness of going over what we did before or how we responded to a stimulus before, going over the memories, um, it does, of course, produces the good habit, namely repertoire of expertise, but it also produces a very bad habit. And that bad habit is called persona. We become a little pretentious. We realize that, oh, I can present a persona which can hide my authentic nature, the habit patterns, because everybody can be a little good, you know, for a facade. You are with your parents and you hide the fact that you enjoy uh, some addiction. They don't have to know you are good. In this way, you develop a pleasant persona, which is full others, but you are suppressing your actual character, suppressing your emotions. You become a suppressive personality. So in this way, this persona, this lack of authenticity, that hurts us. So uh, it is this kind of thing that uh, that are our problem with dealing with the human condition and finding meaning. So meaning of life is to get over this tendency, get over this me, get over this separateness and go towards the uh, unity. That is the drive that we have, that we have to recognize. And um, when you start doing that, we begin with creativity and then we apply creativity to ourselves. We start changing. The brain data is very helpful now. The brain uh, has um, really almost unending amount of plasticity uh, that we have discovered. It can go on changing. You know, one time the belief was that brain cannot change, so we really cannot make changes like spiritual traditions always insist. The new wisdom is that, no, we were wrong. Scientists were wrong. Religious traditions were right. We can change. And so we now have, because we know how to use creativity to make changes in ourselves, we now have a technology that 
uh, can initiate those changes. So we really don't have any excuse to find the meaning which is unity. How do we explore mm-hmm. meaning? We first we explore our mind, and then we explore these archetypes that I mentioned. We pay attention to intuition. We pay attention to feeling. We integrate all these facilities, and we become we become um, one, one with or as much oneness as you want. Depends on this part takes time. Um, mm-hmm. the relatively simple oneness. That's what I would settle for first. But then as you become settled in that, we go for deeper and deeper oneness. And the more deep you go, the more meaning comes and more happiness comes and more intelligence comes. And more intelligence and more creativity. Yes. And so this leads me to the to one last big one. Um, I hope we have some time to, to dig into this deeper too, because I'm thinking about that deepening into our oneness if we are always instantaneously and interconnected with consciousness, with the whole, with our oneness, then we can look at death and reincarnation and karma very differently. Like we are all, you know, um, having these experiences and tapping into that collective wisdom um, that universal intelligence is always there. So we have about five minutes left, Amit. Can you talk about death and reincarnation and karma in five minutes or less, which will be difficult? Absolutely. And you put it beautifully. If we could only learn to do it collectively. So let me very quickly go on what actually is happening. The human condition does not yet permit the collective developing of reincarnation. I wish we could, but maybe I'll go back to that in the very last second. But what actually we have discovered is that this character that I spoke of in the last question, uh, this habit pattern, this habit pattern does not reside in the brain. This is the mm. saving grace. Please listen to it again. This character does not exist in the brain. Where does it exist? It exists in that domain of potentiality. It's a non-local memory. Our memory of our patterns of habit, mental and vital, They are all non-local. They reside outside of space and time. Ancient people knew this. This is the amazing thing. They called it Akashic memory. Akash is a Sanskrit word which stands for outside of space. So it is very beautiful that we had this knowledge. And then uh, the rest of it, data, that's what we do with modern science. It it complements the old wisdom. So we have produced a lot of data. So now reincarnation is very convincing. Most convincing data is today's near-death experience. People die, and then they come back, and they, uh, they describe that, yes, they had experiences. So what experiences are these? These experiences happened when they were dead. How can they happen when they are dead? Well, quantum physics explains it through a concept called delayed choice, and we really don't have time to get into that. But quantum physics explains that. What does it mean then to have experiences when you are dead? It means that there is life after death. It's completely convincing because there is no way that you can refute this data. You know, it's solid data. So, is there data that you have life before birth? Yes. Psychologist Stan Graf has established that with his holotropic breathing technique. Any, anybody can go to um, Graf and his group and other people too, and have these experiences mm-hmm. before birth. So you put two and two together. 
Before birth, you exist. After death, you exist. Or must exist in between two. Nobody can deny. And so reincarnation is now solidly established. What do we reincarnate with? We reincarnate with this non-local memory. That has no space and time. Therefore, they continue. God knows when I, Amin Goswami, in this life started, but could have been many, 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 you know, 12,000 years ago, there may have been one, and it will continue also thousands and thousands of years after this particular incarnation passes away. And everyone is like that. You are just one pearl in a whole string of beautiful pearls. When we look mm. at life this way, how beautiful it is. And then when we can do what you are surmising, if we can produce these incarnations in a collective way, you know, just imagine the power of that, which means if, if, if a few of us could learn to love, that love will benefit every one of us. And this is uh, a vision that some people are bringing. Rupert Sheldrake is one of them. I am one of them. Carl Jung was one of them. Our vision is that, you know, this is the way we have created the instinct in, through biological time, through geological yes. time. For uh, millions and millions of years, we have this instinct. Mostly they are about negative habits. But why can't apply also? Why can't they apply the same mechanism, apply also to positive habits? So what did our ancestors do, which we have given up? Ancestors lived in societies, they lived in tribes. Today we denigrate the word tribe. But tribe isn't bad. Tribe is a non-local connection between a lot of people. And put in reincarnation, very soon you will find that you condition, got conditioned with non-local memory in one tribe and then you reincarnate in another tribe. So now they are taking, getting advantage of your non-local connections and therefore very quickly the whole humanity gets advantage of somebody's transformation. And that's how the instincts happen. Can it happen again with positive emotions? Yes. Yes, if we could produce that tribal mindset one more time, not in order to produce bad things, but in order to produce good things, in order to evolve humanity towards the future that we all want, a wonderful, creative humanity taking care of each other in a peaceful way. Okay, we'll miss some of the melodrama that negative emotions create, but is this so bad to give up? You know, people cannot just go on taking their guns and kill congressmen. This is ridiculous. We should yeah. be more civilized, right? Yeah. Just listening to you, Amit, and I know our listeners here now can use their imagination and their knowing now to look at how you're presenting this worldview, we can look at racism and racial relations and, and religious conflict and politics. And we can look at all the different ways we've created separation. And, and even that tribal, not being tribal as my tribe's better than your tribe, creating more layers of separation. But we really are just kind of resting in this bigger non-local, no space, no time zone and, and really bringing through so much wisdom. So 
Amit, I want to thank you for joining me again. Again, this was enlightening, enlightening, and I didn't even get to ask you about enlightenment. Maybe we'll have to do a show on that because it's a little more complicated. I'd love to hear your answers, but thank you for joining us and, and being here today talking about the Everything Answer book. Thank you, Julie. Oh. It's been my delight. And I just, um, I do want to have you back because there's so much more that we could talk about. So I appreciate you being here. All righty, let's do it. And thank you listeners for tuning in. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. I'm Dr. Julie. Remember together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. <laughs>